been hard work, but it's been very rewarding. It's certainly worth it. <clears throat> just the people we meet and our neighbours are just sensationally wonderful. All of them, just wonderful. Well, we have three. <laughs> G'day, welcome to Life on the Land, the Grazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living in regional, rural and remote Australia. I'm Em Herbert, your host for today. Sandra Scott is not your average retiree. The 81-year-old co-owns Australia's most isolated pub, the Mount Dare Hotel, alongside her husband, Graham. The pair threw in the farming game seven years ago after 45 years on the land in Victoria. Instead of putting their feet up, the dynamic duo decided on a desert change and have never looked back. Sandy says moving to the hotel, which is on the western edge of the Simpson Desert in South Australia, just 10k south of the Northern Territory border, is the best thing they've ever done. When they're not serving ice-cold beers or what Sandy calls the best coffee in hundreds of kilometres, to travellers, Sandy and Graham are the first responders to those who've come a cropper in the desert, rescuing intrepid adventurers who find their vehicles are no match for the Aussie outback. I chat to Sandy while she sits in a hire car at the Ballarat airport. She and Graham have flown their plane down south for some repair work and have found themselves stuck with the weather coming in. Since we've been here, it's just rained and drizzled and bleak and horrible. <laughs> How important is the plane to your everyday life at Mount Dare? Oh, it's very important. We um, we fly into Alice quite a bit, uh, which is very quick compared to driving, in which is about six hours. So it's it's very important. And if anyone gets sick, we can actually take them into the doctor. Well, we can sometimes fly tradespeople out, and so it's a lot cheaper for us to do that than to have to pay them $1,500 before they start to do anything. Oh, it's good. Mm. Very important. You were telling me there's another way that you sometimes get tradespeople as well. Oh, well, yes. We often put a sign up on the, on the bar fridge asking people if they're an electrician or a plumber. And quite often they are, and they're very willing to help us, and usually for nothing. So we shout them a meal and give them a slab of beer. Oh, so I love that. that. That's great, yeah. People are wonderful. Tell me, yeah. when did you first fall in love with the Outback? 1990, we started to travel around the Outback, and that's when we fell in love with it. The red sand tends to get into your blood a little bit, I think. We have been to Mount Deer quite a few times, and... I was having lunch with, we were having lunch with a friend of ours who happened to be a hotel broker. And I said, I don't suppose there's any Outback pubs for sale. And he said, yes, Sandy, there is. And you've been there. And I said, it's William Creek, isn't it? And he said, no, Mount Dare. I said, oh, heavens, who'd want to live at Mount Dare? Anyhow, eight, eight weeks later, we'd bought it and uh, been there ever since, seven years. Well, seven years on the 1st of July. Hmm. Yeah. Not not the most relaxing of retirement, Sandy. Well, no, it's been hard work, but it's been very rewarding. It's certainly worth it. Um, just the people we meet and our neighbours are just sensationally wonderful. All of them, just wonderful. Well, we have three. 
Did you ever think you'd own a pub? I mean, have you owned a pub before? Have you worked in hospitality? No, never. We were farmers in, in Victoria, around Mansfield, and never. No, we were just going to sell the farms and travel and didn't sell the farms. We bought the pub instead. <laughs> so describe to me what Mount Dare pub or hotel looks like and, and kind of the state of it when you arrived. What's the history? The history, well, it was originally, it was a station um, and then Park South Australia took took it over and it's called Witcher and Natural, National Park now, but it was Mount Dare Station. Two houses on it and a machinery shed that was converted into the, has been converted into the hotel. So it's a big old tin shed really <laughs> with a, a bar and we can sit, uh, we've set up, up to 70, 80 people at a, at a time. So it gets quite busy, actually, very busy, really. We have a nice, beautiful wooden wooden top bar. It's gorgeous wood, concrete floor, of course. And we have veranda on the west side and the north side. And a lovely beer garden with a, uh, a dam in it, grass, green grass, and lots of birds, birds like you've never seen them, hundreds, thousands of them. Wow. Certainly budgies and finches, yeah. A lot of people think that the desert is pretty static. It's just the same all the time. But you don't feel that way, do you? Well, it's not. Everyone that comes up that have never has never been there before just so I can't believe how the scenery changes. It's You can have gibber plains and you can have bushy trees, you have red sand hills, um, more gibber plain, and you'll get rocky outcrops at just changes all the time and after rain you get the most magnificent wildflowers just thousands and thousands miles and miles and miles of of wildflowers yeah beautiful I mean it couldn't be more different to the farming or the farms that you and Graham farmed these green undulating hills in Victoria what was it like going from that to the outback sensational it was warm to start with um (laughs) we're Matt farming at Man, near Mansfield, and that's uh, up near Mount Buller Snow Resort. So it gets very, very cold and uh, very, yeah, you get a bit sick of, you know, pulling lambs um, when you're up to your knees in mud. So it's lovely to be out in the warmth of the red, red sand. It's wonderful. So what mm. are the, the busy seasons for Mount Dare and, and how many travellers do you get coming through? The busy Busy season for Mount Dare, it's a shoulder season is sort of April, May, then June, July, August, it's absolutely manic, just unbelievable. And then uh, September, October, it's, it's shoulder again, and then it virtually dies off over summer. Right. <laughs> because whereabouts, what are you close to? Where are people travelling through? Oh, the Simpson Desert. Travel, want to travel through the Simpson Desert so they'll come from Birdsville to us or from us to Birdsville. We often have to go out and do a few recoveries quite often. Yes, well, I was going to say, what what happens when people get get stuck out there? What sort of recoveries are you making and how are you rescuing them? We bought a Unimog and we have a big trailer and we go out and put their vehicle on the trailer and drag it back. Usually it's quite, well, quite often it's camper trailers that uh, are really not very good in the desert. We 
advise people not to take trailers, but they always seem to. And quite often we have to go and rescue them. Um, we also get cars that, you know, the chassis breaks. So we have to go and get those. And we've had a lot of people ride motorbikes across and we get, unfortunately, people with broken bones. We have to go and get them. And then we have to ring the flying, doc, the flying doctor and he, they will come and pick them up and take them to hospital. So it's pretty busy all the time. It's, Can you tell with, uh, with travellers if you think they're not going to make it? I mean, do you look at each other with knowing looks as a very heavy camper van passes by? Well, we do. We, we advise people. A lot of people will listen to us and they'll leave their caravan or camper trailer. Well, they can't take a caravan across. They'd never make it. And they leave it with us and... Um, go across one way and come back another and pick up their ca uh, caravan we let we don't charge people for that we just let them leave them there for nothing which is uh saves us a lot of worry <clears throat> and yet we have told people that no they can't go someone came out and actually fortunately they called into us if they hadn't they were in a, a just a, an ordinary uh car and they were, they were looked at google maps and they said oh yes we can get across the desert in 15 hours and you can't it takes about three to three to four days and they would never have made it they had no water didn't have enough fuel no <gasps> sat and it was quite hot and there was no not many travelers so they could have easily died and that was a family of four they could have died if they hadn't called in and our daughter was there and she said you can't do it you can't do it in that vehicle is that something so, that people underestimate is the brutality of the desert? Oh, of course they do. Um, a lot of people think it's easy. It's never easy because you're in low range most of the time or certainly in four-wheel drive. Some people think they can do it in two-wheel drive, but all that does is mess up the, the sand because all they do is spin wheels and dig holes and uh, yeah, some of the holes at the bottom of sand hills can be as, as, high, as deep as my waist. And, you know, it just breaks cars. Yeah, that's quite a, um, a, a quite a scary sort of warning, I suppose, that that family. I mean, what have been some of the, the more dramatic rescues you've made? Or uh, I suppose you saw about that family that were out in the desert that drove across and they were stuck there for over a week. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, they, um, they had to, well, the police came and, and helicoptered them out and, uh, and then when it dried, we had to go and get there a vehicle and bring it back, or we drove it back. And, uh, and then we had to drive it into Alice Springs, and it was put on a truck and taken over to Western Australia. That's so amazing. That we, so anytime yeah, people had, are stuck, it's you guys. You're on the front line. We are, yes. And if people send off an EPIRB, Canberra always ring us. If it's out in the Simpson Desert near us, they always ring us and say so and so and such and such coordinates and uh, could you go and see? Well, not too often, but it has happened a few times. What were some of the the biggest challenges or changes when you moved from Victoria to Mount Dare? Oh, I, nothing. <laughs> I mean, it sort of it wasn't it wasn't hard. It was something we wanted to do, so it wasn't wasn't a challenge as far as we were concerned the challenge was learning how to order things and how to go and get well we don't have to get fuel that's the only thing that delivered but 
and to, to meet all the people where we got all our supplies, get all our supplies from in Alice Springs. And it's, uh, and then the drive is absolutely horrible. And then, of course, our truck keeps breaking down because the roads are very harsh. So that's, they're, they're the main challenges. It's just so remote. It's so far from anywhere. But it's an adventure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Every, every day is an adventure usually. We're the hotel closest to the Lambert Centre, which is the geographical centre of Australia. So, therefore, we have to be the hotel closest to every beach in Australia, I think. Oh. <laughs> I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's the claim to fame, I guess. Yeah. So, in terms of ordering, what, were, mm. what are your logistics? How often do you get to Alice and, and what sort of numbers are you ordering in terms of food and... How much stuff do you need? Oh, um, gosh, Gray, how, how much meat do we order every time? Uh, it's usually two or $3,000 worth of meat, maybe $10,000 worth of groceries, $7,000 or $8,000 worth of grog, things like that. It's usually when we're busy, it could be every 10 or 12 days that we have to do that. We don't have enough storage, uh, and because uh, we lease the buildings off, Park South, Australia, Park South Australia, we're not allowed to do any building without their permission. Mm. And so have to have to make do. Everybody does out there. You have to. What yeah. about staff? How do you get staff? Do you have repeat staff, your cook, your um, bar staff? Where do they all come from? Well, quite often, well, a lot of them have come from Mansfield. Uh, the cook, our cooks come from Mansfield. She's our daughter's one of our daughter's best friends. Um, and then two, three lots of staff that we we have working at the minute were people we've recovered. <laughs> no they, way. <laughs> and, and they just love it, fell in love with the place. And because of recovery, they had to stay there. So we said, oh, well, do you want to work for a couple of weeks while you're here? Or they ask if they can. Yeah. And they've all come back. Yeah. Wow. So we get... Yeah, we get repeat staff all the time, which is fabulous. It makes it so good for us because they all know what they're doing, which is oh, wonderful. Wow, that's such a cool story. And for a lot of people who move, you know, to a very remote place, being far from family is, is a big one, but not really the case for you and Gray, is it? Our daughter's with us at the minute and our youngest son and his family came up for a 12 months and work for us and our oldest son comes every summer so as we can have a couple of months off so it's 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 really good yeah surrounded by family yeah it's good it's lovely what drew your daughter to come and and move to Mount Dare uh, I think maybe we I think I suggested maybe she should come up and try it and she did and fell in love with the place and she loves it as much as we do now. And she'd never been out into the, well, not, not out into the outback like where Mount Dare is. So, yeah, she fell in love with it and yeah, just wants us to stay there forever. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite time of the day and the year out there? Oh, I guess autumn and spring because it's, it's not too hot. Um, summer's gets very hot, has been up to 50 degrees, which is pretty hot. Uh, but it's a dry heat. It's not a not a humid heat. So we can 
and we have air conditions, swampies, and so we just um, work early in the morning and in the evening and sit in the cool during the day. We go down to certain water holes and meet neighbours there and have picnics and barbecues and swim, and it's, it's rather nice the summer, actually, but... And no people, no travellers. It's just too hot. Your neighbours sound fantastic. Oh, they are, all of them. They're just, I can't tell you how good how good they are. They're just brilliant people. If we're ever stuck for anything, the first thing that they do is just come and help us. And if we've been flat out busy, they said, oh, we'll send some of our staff down to help you um, or up from depending which way. But, yeah. They're so willing to do that and they won't take a penny for it, of course. They won't let us pay them. Because how far away is your nearest neighbour? 70 k's. Right. Um, The next one's 100 and the next one's 150. Wow. My gosh. Mm. It's quite a drive for a picnic, isn't it? Well, yeah, we usually meet halfway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's good. We have a lot of fun with them. If they come up, they usually come and stay or if we go to their places it's usually I'll stay the night because we tend to sort of have a few drinks together and mm. <laughs> you know, it's, and it's not good to drive at night out there because there's a lot of cattle a lot of holes in the road and it's a bit hard to see some of them so it's mm. it's, it's not wise to drive at night and sometimes you have to but if you don't have to I, I would advise no one to do it. What are people's response when you say that you um, uh, you and your husband run as the most isolated pub in Australia? Well, most of them, a lot of people have never heard of it. Where's that? Where the hell's Mount Dare? And so we say, where? And they say, oh, my God, why do you want to do that? And then I have to say, because it's beautiful and we love it. <laughs> Usually, yeah. Hmm. I'd love to take a little step back into your years farming. Can you tell me, you know, what you farmed and, and what life was like on the farm? Life on the farm was brilliant. Uh, we farmed cattle and um, sheep, uh, fat lambs mainly. Yeah, the kids would come home from school and Shaney would get on the horse and the boys would get on their motorbikes and they'd come in at tea time. Or if we were working or we are shearing, they'd all come up and help us And when they got home from school and help you know sweep up on the in the shed or back line or drench or put put stock away so everybody sort of helped and, and it was so good for the kids they could all drive tractors and cars by the time they're about 11 maybe younger so and ride motorbikes of course and horses so it was just an idyllic life for kids they'd bring friends home from school and they'd Come out, go out and camp for the weekend and come back and Monday morning I'd put them on the bus and they go back to school. That was a yeah, wonderful life, wonderful. Very free mm. range. And I love the story of how you and Grey met. Can you tell me about that? <laughs> we, we were up in the, uh, I was a, a drama club called the Highlands Lowlands Drama Club. I was living up in the Highlands and Grey was living in the Lowlands. And so we used to have drama club meetings and that's where we met and we've virtually been together ever since and that was 45 years ago. But you were telling me that you were not a good actor. Oh, I'm terrible. <laughs> I get incredibly embarrassed um, and so I sort of tend to possibly overact, I'm sure. I don't know. I was pretty bad. But nobody seemed to mind. 
You didn't. So you didn't win his heart with your acting skills. No, absolutely not. No, that must have been my bubbly personality. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'd say your sense of adventure. I mean, I don't know many people who would pack up and, and head to to where you you live, but I just love. I don't know. I just I just think it's the most fabulous story. It's a pity because if people did it, they might realise how wonderful the outback is. It's it's sensational and. Um, you never wanted to, we always said we didn't want to die wondering and we haven't, <laughs> well, yet, but no, we haven't, we're certainly not wondering. We're just so glad we've done it. It's the best thing we've ever done. Do you, do you spend much time behind the bar? I bet you hear some pretty cool stories. I don't, I'm a little bit behind the bar. I'm, I'm sort of tend to be the, the queen of the, ner- of the laundry. I tend to do a lot of boots and washing, but you do hear some interesting stories. We had some some very very interesting characters all come in too. Everyone wants to tell you their story, which is fine, and then they all want to know why we we are where we are. So yeah, everybody swaps stories. I was trying to think of something special. I can't think of any brilliant story. Just then we had an old character come in called Cobby. He's unfortunately dead now. He um, lived at a place called Old Andado. It was a, a lady's house, the lady called Molly Clark. And she, when she died, the place was left as she lived in it and he used to caretake it. And he'd come up, there was about 120 k's away and he'd come up and and spend time with us. And then he, he actually ended up staying with us and working with us for um, about 12 months. Had a great big beard and a big hat and a bit of a bush poet and People used to love him. He'd come in and he'd tell them stories and, yeah, love, very interesting old man. Those salt-of-the-earth characters, they're um, probably getting few and far between now. Yeah, uh, I think we meet a lot of them out there. Mm. We seem to meet a lot of sensational people because we're not an easy place to get to and so people make an effort to get there and so therefore they're interested and interesting and yeah, just really enjoy the whole experience and say, oh, it's completely different to what we thought and didn't realise it'd be green grass here and, yeah, and lots of trees. We have a lot of trees around us and it's, it's really very pretty. And I imagine you wouldn't get too many rabble-rousers. I doubt None. that there's some nasty people coming through there. None whatsoever. Don't think, I don't think we've ever, can't no. remember one nasty person, never any trouble. People just accept that it's a long way from everywhere and they don't they're wonderful. And I suppose for a lot of people they equate isolation with loneliness, but it wouldn't be lonely for you both. Oh heavens no. Well, um, no. Gosh, I've been we've been living years and years and years and years on the land. So I mean we're sort of more isolated than Mansfield, but never feel lonely. Never feel lonely out there. I don't. Even mm. if I'm by myself, I don't feel lonely. It's mm. it's uh, just welcoming, yeah, very welcoming, I think. Mm. Well, that's just been such a wonderful chat. I've loved hearing about life out there. So thank you so much, Sandy, for coming on Life on the Land. It's my pleasure. And, um, yeah, I hope a lot of people see it and uh, maybe come out and see us. Yeah, well, I'd like to. It's on my bucket list now. Oh, good, good. We'd love to see you, Emily. That'd be wonderful. 
Gosh, I just loved Sandy and Graham's story. I tell you what, it's never too late to change things up. To up sticks and change everything about your life at 75 years young is absolutely inspiring. I think we need to organise a Grazy Her road trip and have ourselves an outback pub crawl. I also have to marvel at technology. The fact that we could have this Zoom interview over the phone whilst Sandy and Graham waited at the airport before flying back to the outback is pretty sensational when you think about it. Talking about technology, send us a photo on Instagram or our Grazy Her email of where you're listening to us from. We've had photos of water runs, school bus pickups, long trips to town, planting and harvest time, and everything in between. We love seeing where you're listening from. Our community is spread far and wide, and we like it like that. Until next time, keep well. This is a production of the Manson Podcasting Network for Grazy Herb.